What is all this? I figured we'd be spending some time together, so I moved in. I hope I'm not crowding you. What's the matter? Don't you like books? Oh, I like them fine. Books, young man. Books, thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library, thousands of books. Beam aboard for the first episode of TOS Trek Novels. I'm your yeoman, Jason, broadcasting from Memory Zeta, my own personal Star Trek TOS library. In tonight's episode, I'm going to delve into the novel Enterprise, the first adventure by Vonda N. McIntyre. Captain's log, stardate 1329.8. USS Enterprise in pursuit of an unidentified vessel. In this first segment, The Captain's Log, this is where I just read the description of the book straight from the back. He was the youngest man to captain a starship in Federation history. His crew included an untried first officer and a maverick ship surgeon. In the years to come, the voyages of Captain James T. Kirk and the USS Enterprise would become legend. But before the historic five-year mission began, before the crew meshed into the superb unit that would journey across the galaxy, before the legend took shape, there was the mission that brought them together for the first time. Here, at last, is that untold story. The first voyage of Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, Dr. McCoy, and all the rest of the Enterprise crew. The most eagerly awaited Star Trek adventure of all. So that's the setup for this book. That that leads into the next segment of the show. Commendation, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation, Classes First and Awards of Valor, Medal of Honor. This is a segment that I call the Starfleet Service Record. And in this segment, I just kind of talk a little bit about the book, the publishing, the author, uh, that sort of thing. So this novel was said already, was written by Vonda N. McIntyre and was published in September of 1986. And that was 20 years after the first episode of Star Trek premiered, The Man Trap, in 1966. Uh, this was the first of what Pocket called, quote-unquote, giant novels. These giant novels were not part of the numbered novel series. They were many times published in hardback, and these Giant novels tended to be kind of like event novels. They told some kind of big story. They weren't the typical episodic novels that each of the other, uh, you know, the ones that I'll be covering most on the show tended to be. What I think is really ironic is these are called, you know, giant novels, but the reality is they still weren't that long. Those original pocket book Star Trek novels were usually quick reads. And even though my production schedules, you know, every three weeks, the reason it's every three weeks is mostly because I have a full-time job. And, uh, you know, during the school year as a teacher, I don't have as much time to do reading. But three weeks is more than enough time to read a typical Star Trek novel. Uh, I just think it's funny because the, now the newer novels that are published by um, Simon Schuster, they're routinely 400, 450 pages, and it's just a normal novel where it was a big deal back then to call it a giant novel just because it went over about 250 pages, which is the normal length of, you know, average length of those old pocket books. 
Miss McIntyre, who passed away at age 70 in 2019, was an accomplished science fiction writer besides just Star Trek. She won three Nebula Awards and one Hugo Award for some of the original novels she had published. And if you're interested or you don't know or you're just curious, uh, the Nebula Awards annually recognize the best works of science fiction or fantasy published in the United States. These awards are actually organized by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. The Hugo Award, on the other hand, is a unit annual literary award for the best science fiction or fantasy works and achievements of the previous year and it's chosen by the members of the world science fiction convention and the yugo award is considered like the ultimate award in science fiction so she has chops when it comes to science fiction I have to admit that my only exposure to her writing is with tie-in fiction. She wrote a a couple of Star Wars tie-in novels, as well as five TOS novels. I'm sure she may have written some next-gen novels as well, but I'm just not as versed with those novels. Her novel, The Entropy Effect, which eventually will be covered on this podcast, was the first original numbered novel pop published by pocket books um and it was number two right behind a novelization by gene roddenberry of star trek the motion picture she also did really good novelizations of the movie trilogy the wrath search for spock and the voyage home and a lot of what she added because it came from scripts as well but a lot of the depth and detail that she added to those movie novelizations have become, you know, canon, although on the screen they weren't officially canon. The best example of this would be Peter being Scotty's uh, nephew, the boy that stated his post in the Wrath of Khan that he's holding the body that makes Ahura kind of gasp and uh, fright. So, you know, she is she's a very accomplished Star Trek writer. Since we've passed Mercury, the sun's pull on us has increased greatly. From here, we'll move even faster. And, Captain, notice the chronometers. They've started backward. Minute by minute, the speed of time passage will now increase. So this section is the time travel section is what I call it. And this story, it just the time travel section, the point of the time travel section is just to explain where it takes place in the overall canon of Star Trek. And this one's pretty easy uh, to figure out. This takes place before the five-year mission that we all know and love on the TV show. Uh, this is, you know, by the title it says, The First Adventure. What am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? I'm a doctor, not an engineer. Look, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. So in this section, I'm a doctor, not a blank. This is where I just kind of talked about some of the characters that are involved. A lot of these Star Trek novels will focus on certain characters more than others. And so I always kind of like to just give, you know, as part of this purpose of the show is to give people an idea that, hey, this is where... Now, these are the people that are going to be focused on. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about them, check it out. If you're not as interested in this, you know, Scotty Central story, maybe you want to skip this, that sort of thing. In this book, all the main characters are at least mentioned. They're given a little bit of time. Um, although, you know, some of them are just essentially mentioned. Uh, 
Scotty's there. Chekhov's even there, which I thought kind of interesting because, you know, he wasn't technically in the first season. But as everyone, I hope, but maybe you're a new Star Trek fan, you know, in Wrath of Khan, Khan says, you know, I never forget a face. But, you know, Space Seed occurred before Chekhov was officially ever seen on the show. So they do it well. She does it very well. She has them being like the night shift navigator on the Enterprise. So she's not interacting with the, you know, day shift or the main crew. But he's part of the um, novel. Janice Rand plays a pretty big part in this. Yeoman, that if you know, played by Grace Whitney. She was uh, only on a few episodes on the first season, but she plays a pretty big part. Um, and obviously Spock, McCoy, and everybody's in there. But the novel really focuses on Kirk and kind of his personality and his kind of dealing with things. Uh, McIntyre also introduces some characters that she created just for this novel and some of the bigger ones i mean there's a bunch and you know obviously i'm not going to go through step by step by step so some of her you know characters for this book only i'm linda or lindy as she goes by most of the time and she's the head of a vaudeville troupe and when i get into the spoiler plot section that'll make a little bit more sense uh steven the juggling vulcan there's mr cockspur He's a thespian who interprets Shakespeare. He changes it to make it more modern. There's Coronin, who's a female renegade who kind of gets control of a, a Klingon battle cruiser. And again, I'll, when I get into the spoiler plot, I'll talk about that a little more. And then also featured pretty heavily is Athene. And Athene is actually what they call an Equiraptor. And it's she's basically a genetically engineered horse that has wings. And she's capable of limited flights. So basically just kind of think of a Pegasus. So those are the main characters in this novel. Captain's log supplemental. I think I've discovered the answer. All right, so this next section, Captain's log supplemental. This is where I go over the plot in a pretty spoiler way. So... In this episode, in future episodes, I will put timestamps of where the Captain's Log Supplemental starts and where the Captain's Log Supplemental ends in the show notes. That way, if you don't really want to get full spoilers, because most of my final comments and things I kind of sum up the novel, I tend to try to make that extremely spoiler-free. So, you know, yeah, I might mention one plot point but i won't give the whole thing away so again i will put timestamps in this section so again from this point on lots of spoilers because i'm going to kind of go through the main plot so to start off the book uh james kirk awakes from a nightmare from a battle that him both him himself and his best friend gary mitchell which you know from where no man's gone before were badly injured um and he goes to visit because gary's still in the hospital getting taken care of and he runs into carol marcus and when he runs into carol marcus they kind of talk about how they're breaking things off and how you know upset they are that it's not going to work um then we go jump to Sulu, and this is all kind of in the prologue part. Sulu's really looking forward to being assigned to the USS Airfin, which is a kind of like a fighter squadron that 
does border patrol. That's who he thinks the ship that he's going to serve on. And then we jump to um, Coronin, the renegade woman Klingon, and it talks about how she takes control of this Klingon bird of prey. So that's kind of the prologue. So then you get into the main story. There's a reception for the change of command ceremony, and Pike doesn't really think much of Kirk, and you know Kirk kind of is not real happy either. Um, and Kirk meets his bridge crew and he's really upset that, um, the Admiral Noguchi has refused to let Gary Mitchell be his first officer at this time. And one, Gary wasn't able to go on the trip anyway, still in the hospital, but Kirk's under the impression that when Gary gets better, he's going to be able to go to the hospital. And so, you know, he's also, Kirk's really upset because he gets his orders. And his first order is he's going to spend the next three months transporting a vaudeville troop to different star bases in the Federation Phalanx, which the Phalanx is kind of like this area that, ju- you know, I think about it as the shape of Florida, but it kind of juts in the Klingon space. So there's lots of star bases around to protect that area. So he's basically just going to be ferrying this vaudeville troop around. And the Admiral explains that the main reason for this is that it's very important to keeping up around everything, but then also kind of explains that Kirk had just been through a lot. He lost his ship. He was severely injured. His, um, best friend was severely severely injured and it's a good idea to maybe ease into things but kirk's not really happy about that at all there's a big ceremony and like his mom and brother there um and so it's time for them to leave and kirk has to postpone leaving space dock until mccoy can finally be rounded up and mccoy basically was camping you know roughing it enjoying his short leave didn't realize it was time to go but then they get mccoy on they get going and at the beginning you know as the book prods along you're learning some different aspects about it about the crew and kirk is really really stressed out by all the paperwork he has and then mccoy's the one says hey you know you're in a starship now it's not a little cruiser like you had before you know Get a yeoman to handle it for you. This is where we first meet Janice Rand. She's assigned as Kirk's yeoman. And she's very capable of organizing all his paperwork, but she's very not, she lacks any self-confidence whatsoever. And she comes across as constantly frightened. Uh, At one point, she shows up on the bridge and she looks like she just woke up and very disheveled. And Kirk really reprimands her for this and she runs off crying and in a really nice moment Yuhora follows her comforts her and as Yuhora kind of prods her she learns that um Yeoman Rand grew up as a slave and a refugee refugee and her current roommate has been bullying Rand and so Yuhora goes ahead and says well you know you can get moved into the yeoman's can cabin and so gets Rand to go to the yeoman's cabin and kirk to his credit does eventually apologize to rand as this is going on kirk's flirting with lindy the head of the vaudeville act and she keeps saying how she just wishes she had a juggler uh for it and so that they're flying through space and they get in contact with another ship and the other ship just happens to be 
Stephen, who is a Vulcan that juggles. And you know, so they meet Stephen. He seems a little flamboyant for being a Vulcan. And then Kirk learns that from Spock that Stephen's considered a deviant because he seeks out emotional experiences. He has the fencing match with Sulu, so he's starting to get good for Sulu, because Sulu really doesn't want to be here. He really wanted to be on another ship, and he keeps thinking about transferring off. Uh, but Kirk's, you know, starting to bond with him. Uh, he ends up, you know, again, he's really hitting on this Lindy, and, you know, so he takes her to this the uh, place real romantic-like, and she tells Kirk, you know, she's like, I feel like I can tell you anything. And he's kind of eating it up. And she tells Kirk that she thinks she's fallen in love with Steven, the juggling Vulcan. So, you know, that that's kind of a bummer for Kirk. The troop ends up performing for the Enterprise crew. And, you know, it's it's going pretty good and people like it. And again, I'm not I'm not going through every single detail. So there's a lot more to this story. But then during the second performance, uh, the Enterprise is thrown out of warp by the sudden arrival of some gigantic starship. And so Kirk and Spock make contact with the ship's inhabitants, and they communicate through this complex song that cannot be translated. And Kirk and Spock are really struggling to kind of figure out, you know, what these beings are saying and they don't understand everything then matters get worse when coronan the renegade klingon ship arrives so you know it becomes this tense kind of standoff some of the beings from the world ship end up visiting the enterprise um Spock realizes too late that the gravity's too high for them and they all start to be in pain but then Spock quickly transports onto the shuttlecraft deck and you know that where they can change the gravity very easily uh spock eventually mind melds with one of them to try to communicate but he's overwhelmed and loses consciousness and but the being that he melded with learns how to speak from the meld and ends up communicating with spock kirk uh spock's taking the sick bay and your horrors continue to try to learn the song then kirk orders scotty to reduce gravity throughout the ship to make these beings more um, welcome and scotty refuses and objects and kirk goes to engineering to end up confronting him and it becomes this really tense scene and you know it seems like kirk's gonna ask to remove scotty from uh you know his service once the mission's over and meanwhile while this is all going on steven takes is in his little like souped up sports car spaceship um takes himself lindy and the pegasus to the world ship because gravity's so low there that this horse is going to be able to fly free and again it's a big plot thing so kirk goes after steven even though he's angry at mr scott he places him in charge uh despite their argument and then spock also goes on the ship to kind of you know get his mind straight um the renegade klingon Corone boards the ship and while trying to get the people to obey her again when i say the people the aliens um he st she stabs part of the wall with her blade and that causes a small small explosion and then her crew captures spock and gets even worse a whole klingon warship fleet comes and shows up 
they are actually assigned to capture Coronin. So I kind of think of like the hunt for Red October, the movie or the book, whenever the Soviet Navy's going out to try to sink the Red October warship fleet comes to try to capture Coronin because of uh, doesn't want her to start a war. And Kirk then returns to the Enterprise and Coronin is captured by the Klingon. And Kirk receives a call from the Admiral and Gary Mitchell and everything's good. And the Klingons present Kirk with a medal because he was able to help capture Coronin. And the Lindsay's troop performs again for the crew, the aliens on the world ship and the Klingons and the Klingons end up loving uh, the vaudeville act. And that's kind of how this story wraps up. Please. Computer. Computer. Ah. Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. The keyboard. How quaint. All right, so this next section called Hello, Computer. Uh, This is where I kind of talk about some of the references to canon that were made. And... um, you know, there were a lot of little ones, you know, for example, Gary Mitchell, you know, being part of it, breaking things off with Carol Marcus. They met, you know, his brother comes, George comes to watch him, which was, you know, from the episode uh, Operation Annihilate. And so, I mean, there's some neat little references thrown out. But compared to a lot of these books, as I remember them, because again, I haven't read them in ages, I didn't remember much of this story when I, as I was rereading it. But compared to a lot of Star Trek books, there weren't as many canon moments thrown out. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? I said, what does God need with a starship? All right, so this section is called What Does God Need with the Starship? And this is where I kind of just discuss some of the issues I had with the story, maybe plot holes if there's any. And, you know, my biggest issue with this story book, which is the portrayal of Kirk, and I get it, I get this was the first mission, it's supposed to show, hey, they weren't always the best, and they eventually gelled and became this great crew but sometimes it seems like he's almost unhinged at points and he just acts very odd at times and i just don't know uh it just it just kind of stuck with me the whole scotty being almost rebellious type thing i mean i know scotty loves the ship but one of the things about Scotty is Scotty's one of the most loyal officers that kirk has uh in the original series and you know doesn't he'll voice his opinion, but he won't be just obstinate like he comes across in this uh, story. Uh, there is one thing, and this is a teeny weeny spoiler. I didn't even go over it in a spoiler plot, but there's a really small subplot um, with the bullying that was going on at Janice Rand and McCoy and Yahura have a neat, a neat little thing that they do, and I really like that. I just thought that was pretty cute. Um, and the other big thing I had an issue with just kind of stuck me as odd was the portrayal of Rand as being traumatized. It just didn't really ring very true. I mean, again, this is someone reading this in 2021. It was written in 1986. And when I read it in 1986 original, I probably 
originally I probably didn't think about that sort of thing, but looking at it now with the, you know, older, more experienced reading just kind of struck me as a little bit odd. Warp drive, Mr. Scott. Ahead warp one, Mr. Sulu. Accelerating to warp one, sir. All right, now for the last section, until I start getting emails to read from people, uh, the last section is what I call the warp factor, and this is where I give my overall rating, and I rate it from impulse, which if it's if books rated impulse, I would basically be telling you skip it, it's a slog to get through, there's nothing entertaining about it, that sort of thing, to warp factor 5. And I know that the Enterprise can go faster than warp factor 5, but it just made the rating system a little bit easier. And I base it on overall enjoyment, how quick a read it was, you know, that sort of thing. So I found the beginning of this book excellent, and I kind of, you know, flew through the first part. But then as soon as the vaudeville act kind of showed up and became the main, like the main focus of just Kirk being mad about the vaudeville act and getting to know those people, I found that I didn't care. Like it was really, really slow. I um, thought the Klingon subplot served absolutely no purpose. Like there's really no reason for it to be there. By the end of the story, the fact that Klingon was involved didn't really influence much at all. Like, it didn't make any sense. You know, I think the book could have been excellent if it just focused on the first contact portion of the story. But because of all the other stuff, the whole first contact part seemed really rushed to me. But again, that was just me. She could have made wrote like Kirk could have been put on a delivery mission to Starbase 13 for medical supplies or something. And then ran into the you know contact situation and again the vaudeville portion just didn't didn't sit with me at all 30 years ago whenever i read this i recall really really liking it but that was when i would anything star trek i would love but now as a little bit more experienced reader still a fan of star trek but just a little bit more experienced reader found this kind of lacking uh, but with that being said it was a pretty fast read and I kept turning the page I wanted to see what happened next I didn't think it was like there's never a point where I was like I can't read this anymore I can't do it the reality was that there were just portions of it that I just didn't care about I kept turning the page hoping to get to something that I was going to get me excited about the story again so with all that I would rate this book as warp factor two not horrible, but not the best. And obviously, as I continue through the series and I start to look at and reread some of these ones that I haven't read for years and some of the ones I've never read, you know, one of the things I'll find out is do they hold up? Because you know, I used to remember loving them as a kid. Mr. Spock, sometimes I think if I hear that word frequency once more, I'll cry. All right, the next section would be hailing frequencies, but... That's going to be where I talk about listener mail, if I emails if I get them, and read reviews and anything along those lines. But since this is the first episode, none of that exists. So that wraps up the first episode of Star Trek TOS Novels. If you liked it, please subscribe to it. Feel free to rate and review us. I know you get so sick of hearing that in every podcast you listen to, but I just want to get this out here. My goal for this podcast is not to make a whole bunch of money on it or anything like that. My main goal is I just would like to get some you know, conversation started about these Star Trek novels. And the reality is that none of my friends, I have a lot of geeky friends, 
but none of my geeky friends like Star Trek, and so I don't really have anyone to share them with. So feel free to email me your thoughts, suggestions, anything at tostreknobbles at gmail.com, and I'll put that in the show notes. Next episode, I will be reading the novel Dreadnought by Diane Carey. So until next time, read long and prosper. Beam me aboard. Energize. Energize. Gentlemen, beam me aboard. <laughs>